the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Always Right Radio is live and ready to rock and roll on a free-for-all, but not free-at-all Friday edition of Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. When I say free-for-all, normally we try to open up to a ton of phone calls on that day and get everybody's opinion on this, that, or the other. Whatever's on your mind you know, is what we do on Free-for-all Friday. We don't censor any topics. Uh, you can go in whatever direction you want, but my goodness, are we packed today. So free-for-all, but free-for-none, because we have a lot of very important people to talk to coming up on the program this morning. Back in Northeast Ohio, after two days in Washington, D.C., and we do have a lot of ground to cover, because what we did is we did single-issue radio um, all the way through Wednesday and Thursday's show. We did single-issue. You know, we always tell people, don't be a single-issue voter. There are a lot of things to concern yourself with. But if you are a single-issue voter, you know, try to justify it. Explain yourself. Why is that the only one for you? We try not to do that uh, on radio and be single-issue. But when you go to D.C. to broadcast live from FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, and their uh, annual, their 15th now annual um, uh, conference and convention of conservative talk shows in support of uh, border security and national security and so forth, 
Um, it's a single issue thing. That's it. That's all we talked about with every guest. And we had, I don't know, uh, about a dozen or so guests over the two days, about six each day. Um, so in other words, the news <laughs> kind of got backed up here a little bit. Some of the things that we need to talk about kind of piled up on us, and we're going to have to clear the decks today and make sure we have time to talk about all of those. There's a race coming up. Everybody's focused on the midterm congressional races. But as you know, almost all change that really needs to be made in most communities is in the communities. It's not at the federal level, maybe even at the state level. Uh, there's a race for a Cuyahoga County executive, and there's a legitimate chance here to take the bluest of blue in Ohio, which is Cuyahoga County, uh, overwhelmingly Democrat, overwhelmingly um, you know, uh, progressive, if you will, in its mindset, there's a real chance here, I believe, for Lee Weingart, who is the Republican candidate for Cuyahoga County Council, um, to maybe, just maybe, become the first Republican Cuyahoga County executive. It would be something. The council is dominated, obviously, by Democrats. Uh, the position of county executive has been held by Democrats. But I think Lee Weingart in this race against Chris Ronane has a real chance. And we're going to talk about why with Lee, Lee Weingart coming up here in a half an hour at 935. We're going to listen to him. Tell us about his vision for Cuyahoga County. We'll talk about, obviously, the city of Cleveland. But, you know, it, it's an old cliche to say, you know, that as Cleveland goes, so goes Northeast Ohio, so goes Cuyahoga County, and really beyond that, and it's true, but we're going to talk about what is ailing Cleveland and what is and can be done for the benefit of all of the communities in Cuyahoga County. So uh, Lee Weingart will join me at 935. At 1010, we're going to talk about, well, abortion, and it's a unique conversation, though, that we are going to have. Um, I've got an article linked up right now at alwayswrite.us. The page had not been updated, by the way, for the last couple of days that I was in D.C., but it is now. And one of the articles that is uh, under the lead top stories is Joe Biden, formerly, formerly an opponent of abortion, formerly a pro-lifer who said really only you know abortion should be very, very rare and very, very exceptional cases is now full-on with the pro-death cult that is the Democrat Party. And the article that I have linked there is former anti-abortion uh, Joe Biden now counts on Rovember to save the Democrats. They're calling November Rovember as they are drawing inspiration from the um, Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade to return the decision on these things to the states. They're literally counting on the death cult to save them from their own death, politically speaking, when it comes to the majority of the Congress. So that that's you know where we are with respect to abortion right now. And we've got a guest coming up. She's an author and an activist of sorts. And she is the mom of two twins whose story you are going to want to hear. Her name is Aisha Taylor. And... Um, like I said, you just I'm, I don't want to tease it too much. I don't want to give anything away. But she is the mom of two twins, and she has got some uh, a very important book out, and she's got some very important advice, I think, for uh, young moms or young pregnant women um, who need to be moms uh, rather than making the choice to kill their babies. And Aisha Taylor will join me at 10.10. Christina Hagan will join me at 10.35, as she does each and every Friday for commentary on the top news of the day, including the... Um, uh, GOP, House GOP's new commitment to America, which we're going to talk about here in a moment in our monologue. And then at 11.10, we're going to bring Jack Windsor. 
because Windsor is normally our Wednesday guy, but again, we were single-issue radio radio on Wednesday, so he's normally our Wednesday commentator about what's going on um, uh, on the uh, pages of the Ohio Press Network. So we're asking Jack to come on today, and the, the reason why is a, is a good one. Um, Hilliard Schools. If you have not yet been reading the story uh, and the coverage of the Hilliard Schools, which is just another example of the overt attempt to groom and sexualize young children at Hilliard schools, then you need to read it. Take a look at it. I've got links to it also at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us, or you can go directly to Jack's page of the Ohio Press Network. But Jack Windsor is going to tell us that story and more coming up at 1110. So like I said, we're loaded up. It's free for all, but it is also a lot of guests. Lee Weingard, Aisha Taylor, Christina Hagen, and Jack Windsor are on the table for today. Now, before I get started with some very important information for you, I would like to ask you to start our program with the Pledge of Allegiance, as we always do. We missed it on Wednesday because I was locked into the D.C. mindset there and just kind of it got away from me. But um, we met up for it yesterday, and let's do it now. Patriots, please rise. Face your flag. If you don't have a flag, imagine one. If you are driving, you don't have to rise, but at least put your hand on your heart. If you do not believe in the principles that we're going to, about to outline for you in the commitment to America, which is a commitment to American constitutionalism, American rule of law, and American morality and decency, and its traditional norms that have built us into the greatest civilization in the history of the planet. Well, that means you're a Democrat, and you are therefore exempted from pledging allegiance to a flag you do not believe in. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all alright uh, super quick recap of yesterday and uh, uh, Tuesday or uh, Wednesday beg, beg your pardon I was there Wednesday and Thursday doing the shows uh, from Washington D.C. A thank you to Bob Dane. Bob Dane, uh, who ran the entire event top to bottom, simply remarkable to be able to coordinate the shows, the hosts, the producers, the engineers, the technical people, the guests. Oh, my goodness, the guests. To do what he pulled off and does and has now done for 15 years is simply a remarkable uh, event. And I think it, I really do think it has, uh, you know, great, a great impact on the issue of illegal immigration. All of these hosts from all around the country who gathered in DC, myself included, were able to talk to and learn so much more and share with you and listeners around the country so much more. Um, about the danger that that uh, the unchecked, wide-open southern border that we have right now poses for American citizens. We all know more than we did before. We all got a sense of what needs to be done. And we're going to continue to push and share everything that we have learned with our audiences around the country. So thank you to Bob Dane. Thank you to um, R.J. Hallman. Thank you to uh, Dan Stein, who is the president of FAIR, for having me out again. Uh, every time they invite me, I consider it an honor because, you know, there's... There's a thousand talk show hosts. I don't know how many for real, but uh, there's a lot of conservative talk radio around this country. Maybe the last bastion of freedom when it comes to free speech um, that is allowed considering the digital media censorship of conservative voices. So we have radio, conservative radio, and that's it. So there's a lot of us, and to be invited, as I have been uh, so many years in a row now, is a great honor for me. So I really appreciate that. But it was a great event. We learned a lot. 
And yesterday, I was given a sneak peek at something that was revealed today. They handed me a card, a fl- uh, not a flyer, I guess, it's just a card, I guess I can call it. And outlined on this card, which I have in front of me now, was the House GOP's commitment to America. This is the midterm platform that they are running on, as we are now under 50 days from the election uh, that will determine the course of our lives, largely. If you think your lives have been hurt a lot in the 20 months of the Biden administration under full Democrat control of the House and the Senate, if you think you've already suffered with gas prices, energy costs, grocery prices, car prices, everything, the inflation, the crime rate that is just through, if you think you've suffered in the last two years or 20 months, you have no idea what suffering feels like if we don't stop them with the midterm elections. If we don't regain the majority in the House and in the Senate, and Biden is allowed to continue to reign, you know, just to go unchecked, um, then you'll find out what real pain is. And how to come back from that is something that I cannot quite put my finger on right now. I cannot quite imagine what it would be like if we have to endure another two years of full-on Democrat control. So the GOP, the House GOP, has released, and I got a good look at it yesterday, and I'll talk about it today, and I'm going to let Kevin McCarthy talk about it right now for the next one minute and 54 seconds. The GOP's midterm platform has been released. It is the commitment to America. When you and your family go shopping, you probably ask yourself, can we afford this? Now more than ever, Americans are struggling just to get by, wondering if they could even make it. You know what's even worse? The country's struggle goes beyond just the grocery store. Violent crime is at record highs in our streets and neighborhoods. The border has become a national security crisis, with fentanyl killing our fellow citizens. Soaring inflation has shrunk paychecks and sent us into a recession. And our kids have fallen further behind thanks to school closures and lockdowns. The White House and the Democrat majority in Congress control Washington. They're in charge. This is their record. And yet, they want you to give them two more years of power. But Republicans have a plan for a new direction, one that'll get our country back on track. It's called the commitment to America, a plan for an economy that's strong, where you can feed your family and fill up your tank, a nation that's safe, where communities are protected by the police and criminals are prosecuted. A future that's built on freedom, where your children come first and are taught to dream big. And a government that's accountable, where politicians don't get special treatment. We simply cannot afford two more years of business as usual in Washington. We need common sense change now. If you agree, join us and tens of millions more across this great country. Because people like you, who work hard, play by the rules, deserve better. So that is the little video that the GOP has put together uh, to kind of just, you know, whet your appetite a little bit. Um, The details, you know, like the old saying goes, the devil is in the details. Uh, the details of the commitment to America are online right now at republicanleader.gov slash commitment. I have linked that also. 
to alwaysright.us. I, just so you know, just if anything you hear me talking about on the show, you can probably assume there's going to be a link to it on the webpage. It's a companion, obviously, to the show. So on the webpage right now, you can indeed find the video that I just played for, for you. And you can also find a link to the specifics, to the uh, the details that I'm talking about. Again, I got a sneak peek of it yesterday on the in the form of a of a card, and um, it's it's a terrific summary, and it essentially boils it down to four issues, with of course a lot of you know sub issues and details under each of those. But the four issues: an economy that's strong, that is the commitment the Republicans are making if they get control, an economy that's strong. Number two, a nation that's safe. Number three, a future built on freedom. And number four, a government that is accountable. Transparency is completely gone when the Democrats take power. It, it, you know, And we found that out for the last 20 months. Transparency is gone. They took power, and you have no earthly idea. They lie to you. Every, I mean, Kamala Harris sits on national television and says, yeah, the border is, uh, is closed. Yeah, the border is secure. And, and that's just one tiny little bit the dishonesty the deception uh that that literally runs democrat parties i think that's why it starts with the d duplicity deception dishonesty um derangement all of those things are part of the the democrat um makeup i guess if you will and transparency i i it's weird i would say economy i would say crime and transparency in government might be the biggest you know, if I were to rank all of those things, it's very hard to do. I probably can't. But I could almost make just as much of an argument that the transparency in government is just as important or more important, rather, than the others in this in this uh, commitment to America that the Republicans have laid out. Because our government is just off the rails. You cannot trust a government that will not provide you with safe and secure elections. You cannot trust a government that will not allow... It's Department of Justice to do its job blindly as Lady Justice declares that it must when it is targeting political opponents, political opponents in terms of political candidates and, and political opponents when it comes to voters. The way that they are treating parents, the way that they are treating you know, uh, uh, American citizens, the Department of Justice, it is an absolute criminal syndicate these days. There is so much about the U.S. government that has been hijacked by radical, socialist, almost borderline Marxist, borderline communist leaders in the Democrat uh, uh, aspect of our government right now. And, and, and nobody knows exactly the depth of it. That's why this fourth part of the commitment to America that was released by Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans is so important. A government that is accountable the, the people absolutely need to know what's going on inside the halls of our government. Okay, it's 924. We'll take a quick time out. It's Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Good to hear Officer Tatum's voice there because it reminds me to tell you about when you can hear him and see him. Uh, coming up at the Battleground Talkers Tour, October 22nd at the IX Center. Officer Tatum will be there. The professor, Hugh Hewitt, will be there. 
terrific uh, host and author Eric Metaxas will be there. The brilliant Peter Kirsten, I will be there, and I will fill out the fivesome on that stage. And I'm so looking forward to talking with all of those terrific conservative minds as we rally and uh, get together and talk about the things that matter most in this midterm. We'll talk about that commitment to America. You can be sure of that. Get your tickets now. They are limited. Get your tickets now at uh, uh, whkradio.com, whkradio.com. There's a banner at the top. You can't miss it. It'll say Battleground Talker Store. Uh, but get your tickets now. October 22nd at the IX Center for Officer Tatum, Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, Peter Kersenow, and yours truly. Very much looking forward uh, to that conversation. Uh, Those events are always phenomenal anyway. And if you get a VIP pass, by the way, you get to come early. You get to have private meetings with all of the hosts, including myself. Uh, get pictures with us. It's just a, it's a great, great event. And obviously, as it is so close to the actual voting day in the midterms, we will be within the, um, 30-day early voting period, people will already be going to the polls, so it'll be perfect timing for us to rally. And know that we have to out-energize them. We have to out-vote uh, them, uh, obviously. But I mean, what I mean by that is we have to out-vote not just the number of legal votes that are cast, but we have to make sure that we leave no doubt about it. In the event that there is chicanery, in the event that there is fraud uh, or more attempts to uh, you know, essentially cheat Americans out of the results that they actually voted for. We need to make sure there is no chance that they can do that. We just need to be overwhelming. And I think we will. I think we will. So the commitment to America, an economy that's strong. We just heard Kevin McCarthy uh, talking about some of this. Fighting inflation, lowering the cost of living, make America energy independent, which we were under the Trump administration, reduce gas prices, which we were, which we had under the Trump administration, Strengthen the supply chain and independence on China, which we were doing under the Trump administration. Number two, a nation that's safe, secure the border, and combat illegal immigration. I did that for the last two days straight. We'll talk more, too. Uh, Reducing crime and protecting public safety. The war on cops is not over. The war on cops, in fact, in many places is still being ramped up. And left-wing DAs and judges are making it harder and harder for victims to feel uh, to get justice and for people to feel safe. Defend America's national security. A future that's built on freedom is number three, making sure every student can succeed in giving a parent's a voice in their education rather than allowing them to be indoctrinated and groomed, quite frankly. Achieve longer, healthier lives for Americans. Confront big tech and demand fairness. And then finally, the government that's accountable. I just got done talking about the importance of the transparency that is not there under Democrat leadership. All right, so we'll talk more about that coming up but right now it's 9 30 we're gonna get our newscast on the other side of the news we're gonna talk about cuyahoga county and we're gonna talk about a legitimate chance for a republican to win the county executive spot that has never been done since that spot was created we are going to talk with lee weingart about that race that's next on am 1420 the answer Informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. 937 now. We continue on this Friday edition of Always Right Radio. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll get back to the House GOP's commitment to America in a bit. Specifically, we'll talk about that with Christina Hagan next hour. But I want to talk more local now. Like I said, most solutions to most problems are not done at the federal level, maybe even at the state level. They have to be done at the local level, at the community level, or in this case, at the county level. 
And uh, there's going to be a new sheriff in town, if you will. Uh, sorry, it's just a Reggie Hammond line from one of my favorite movies. Uh, there's going to be a new Cuyahoga County executive running the show. Uh, because uh, Armin Budish has a chance to run for a third term, decided not to. So now uh, two primary winners for this fight. Uh, Chris Ronain is the Democrat. And our next guest, Lee Weingart, is the Republican who is up for Cuyahoga County Commissioner, who has a tremendous plan laid out to change Cuyahoga County and to fix what ails it. He's got some experience, County Commissioner in the mid-1990s. He has been working in the uh, private sector in Cuyahoga County for over 25 years. Uh, His experience... um, uh, I think uh, really helps benefit him, and I think it's going to make people feel very, very confident when they decide what they're going to do on November 8th with this Cuyahoga County executive position. So let's welcome Lee Weingart to our program on AM 1420. The answer, Lee, thank you for the time. How are you this morning? Good morning, Bob. It's great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. That's a lot of energy, man. I like that. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, hey, man, I, ran, I ran four miles this morning downtown, so I'm repping ready to go. Oh, that is so impressive! You know, you guys like you and Peter Kirsten out just tick me off. You just continue to work, <laughs> and, I, and it's because of my own laziness. But I, I want to do what you guys do, but and, and and the results are great. But man, it's hard. So I give credit to anybody who can do it. So. Lee, there's, there's so much to get into. I want to talk about Cuyahoga County 2030, your plan. I want to talk about yep. your plan uh, to kind of uh, um, mainstream, if you will, or streamline, I guess a better word, streamline the tax system to get rid of Rita. There's a ton to get to. But I, I think, obviously, the first question people would have is, why? You've been so successful in the private sector. You had your turn as a, you know, as a, as a county commissioner, and you served the people of Cuyahoga County greatly during that time. But, but you've been in the private sector. Why do you want to dive back into the public service realm right now? Well, Bob, when I left this county commissioner in 1997 at the age of 30, uh, we had the number one county in Ohio. We were adding population and growing jobs. The last 25 years under single-party administration, Reed Democratic Party, we've become the second biggest county in the state, and we're losing population, losing jobs. We are a leader in unemployment, poverty, crime, we, uh, we have the highest taxes in Ohio, the highest sales tax, which the current administration wants to extend forever to pay for a jail that we can't afford and is far too big. We have very high property taxes among the highest in the country, not just in the state. And the gut, the gut. I hope that's just a hiccup in the phone line and not a dropped call. And yeah, it sounds like a dropped call. So we're going to have to pick that up. Um, when we get uh, Lee Weingart back on the line. Boy, oh, boy, I'll tell you what. You know, you'd think that. Uh, how many years are we into the cellular, cellular age? When did cell phones really start booming? I want to say, like, you know, nine, you know, late 80s, early 90s. You would think that they would have improved the tech. They went from flip phones uh, to actually the big brick phones to then the smaller phones, then to the flip phones, which were ultimately, ultimately cool, to the smartphones, and they still can't master the cellular technology to stop drop calls from happening. So uh, we'll get it back. Do we have him back now, Johnny? Uh, Lee, can you hear me? Yeah, you're just fine. Can okay. you hear me? Yeah, I got you now. We, we, your, your call dropped or something happened uh, okay. in the middle of your, your explanation there. But uh, but you just ran down, and, and in fact, I'll just use that break there to, to kind of follow up on what you said. You just ran down a litany of problems um, that Cuyahoga County has been facing for a very, very long time. Every single element that you just talked about, I think everybody is aware of here. So again, to my question... Uh, Lee, you know, mo- that didn't all happen last year. That has been happening okay. over the course of the last couple of decades. So w- why now? In other words, where you been? We could have used maybe some of these great ideas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but you're here now. So, why now? 
you know, I, when I left in 1997, uh, I had one child, a daughter who was less than a year old. Mm-hmm. So I was raising a family, putting three kids through college, as many Americans do. You know, I wanted to earn money so I could take care of my kids' future. Well, my kids are all through college. My, my youngest is a senior at Ohio State. My older two, uh, 26, 24, and the youngest is 21. So they've got, they're on their way. They're doing great. I'm very proud of all three of them. Uh, so we're empty nesters again, my wife and I. We were briefly uh, pre-pandemic, and then everybody came home. So it's a, t- it's a chance to get back into the community. So my company is 20 years old this year. We've had a great run. The last three years particularly have been good for us. So it's time to give back to the public. Uh, I've got a vision for how we fix this county government, make it more responsive to the needs of the citizens. And so I'd be, um, I'd be wrong not to run. If you have a vision, if you see a problem you can fix, it's incumbent upon you, I think, to run. That's very well said. And I think that's the true epitome of service. A lot of people talk about public service, and I think a lot of people get into politics and run for office for their own personal benefit, not to actually serve. But you just described true service. I respect the heck out of that. That's a great you, reason to do this. So, Lee, let's, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, and you can't avoid it. I mean, this county has been run by Democrats. Uh, the city of yep. Cleveland has been run, run by Democrats pretty much for my entire lifetime. So all of the problems you just ran down are kind of laid at their feet, in my estimation. So let me read this from your website, which is uh, Weingart2022.com, for those who want to follow along here. I am proposing a new vision for our county, Cuyahoga 2030, not a conservative or liberal approach, neither Democratic nor Republican. Rather, uh, Cuyahoga 2030 is a prescription for more responsible and activist county government, one that guards against overtaxing its citizens and proposes bold new initiatives and investments to meet our challenges. So the line there that's important to me, or the part of that, is neither Democratic nor Republican. But you, Lee, are a Republican, and you can't get away from that in a big, big oh, no. Democrat yeah. county. So how how do you reach Democrat voters who have made this, you know, one of the bluest areas of the country? How do you reach them and say, trust me, a Republican, to turn this around for you? You know, the good news about local government, county government, is it's not a divisive, partisan form of government. We don't deal with social issues at the local level, like abortion, gun control, prayer in school, things like that. It's really an administrative government. And so my appeal to Democratic voters and Republican voters is I'm going to run a better government. I'm going to spend your money more wisely. So a lot of what I want to do revolves around tax reform, which we can talk about. But uh, I also want to have a smaller county government. So we're not going to hire a bunch of people based on patronage who are connected somehow to the government. Um, We're going to hire the best people we can find, and they are going to help me reform this government, turn around, Stop investing in government. Like my opponent wants to add four new departments, hundreds of people, millions of dollars to a dysfunctional government. I would rather invest in the community, hold the line on taxes, and be more responsible with taxpayers' dollars. That message really rings with everybody I talk to, whether they be east side, west side, suburban, urban. People understand the need for government. We have to have a government, particularly county government, because that serves the most vulnerable citizens that we have. They want a less burdensome government and a more effective government. That is my message. Lee Weingart is my guest. He's a Republican candidate for Cuyahoga County Executive. You you also note in this, and, and we'll talk about the four pillars in a second, correctly, by the way, that it will take a whole community effort. Citizens, nonprofits, foundations, business, labor, and government all working together for the long term to make this work. Do you have reach outs already? Have you established connections in each of those areas to bring them together should you win the election? 
I have. So we have a broad-based campaign in the business community, the nonprofit community, um, again, both political parties. We're really trying to reach to everybody we can because it's a really big, it's a very big county, uh, very complex county, and we need to bring in disparate groups together if we're going to solve problems. So I started my campaign uh, in earnest on the east side. I'm a native of Cleveland Heights, so I'm an east side guy. Really focused in areas of uh, wards 1 through 10 of Cleveland where Republicans do not run well. In fact, in 1996, as I sought re-election as county commissioner, I won everything in Cuyahoga County, the west side, the suburbs, but I got demolished uh, in the uh, African-American wards of Cleveland, wards 1 through 11 at that time. Mm-hmm. And I can't afford that to happen again. So we've been very active on the east side. We secured about $2.2 million last year to help eight black-owned restaurants survive the pandemic. We got money for the United Black Fund, for Karamu House, for the YWCA. We got money to put a new roof on the Harvard Community Services Center in Ward 1, and uh, money to renovate a house in the Glenville area, which will become permanent housing for four women coming out of the state prison system. So we were very active on projects last year as a demonstration of what I could do when I become county executive. You're uh, there. I'm glad you brought that part up about you know East Cleveland and uh, and your your own background there. Um, when you spoke to the city club, there's a quote that's on their page about the about this. Uh, I will not write off East Cleveland. If I do nothing else as county executive, I will do my darndest to make sure East Cleveland brings itself back to the greatness that it had in the 1950s and 1960s. I think that's noble. Um, it, it, it's also an extraordinary undertaking because it has been down since the fifties and sixties for a reason. Um, so, so that that's that's going to take an awful lot of effort and resources, particularly when you also then need to focus on the other cities in the in the uh, uh, in the county. It will. So, you know, one of my initiatives called Ten Thousand Homes for Cuyahoga County to have ten thousand families who are currently renting or in public housing move into a home that they own. So, it's a it's a county uh, allocation, and then also leveraging about. $500 million of private capital from the banks to help these 10,000 families. I would like the first 200 of those homes to be built on 40 acres in East Cleveland that are owned by the Cuyahoga Land Bank, which, by the way, I helped to create back in 2007. If you could move 200 families into East Cleveland into homes that they own, that would create a need for a new grocery store, a new dry cleaner, all of the retail outlets that you see in the suburbs to support new housing development. If you fix that little corner of East Cleveland, then you can slowly take back the rest of East Cleveland. This is yes, it has to be a project led by East Cleveland. This is not going to be led by outsiders. But the county can certainly provide uh, access to resources and capital to make it happen. I also think the East Cleveland police have a significant problem, as has been reported on, on this station and others, uh, other media outlets. I'd like to see the county sheriff deputies take over policing in East Cleveland. I think it's a more trustworthy force. The uh, sheriff's deputies are be more effective, and we know that the East Cleveland Police Department is riddled with problems and corruption. So yeah. we can do a housing initiative and take the safety forces in with the sheriff's deputies. I think we can make a big step toward making East Cleveland a great place again. Has uh, the sheriff responded to such a suggestion about whether they would go for it? No, and you know I'm focusing on electing a sheriff. So we've had a lot of problems in the county jail. Fifteen people have died since 2018, largely because I think the sheriff doesn't really control the jail. For example, the director of the jail, a guy called Ken Mills, who was appointed by Armin Budish, uh, is now in jail for his failure to keep the defendants in the jail safe. 
when we had elected sheriff, uh, when I was county commissioner 25 years ago, people didn't die in the county jail because the sheriff knew if somebody died when he faced re-election, he did to explain to the voters why that person died. So if the sheriff is accountable to the voters, not just to the executive and the county council, I think you'll have a safer jail and a safer community. We're talking to Lee Weingart, if you just tuned us in. Uh, Lee Weingart is the Republican candidate for Cuyahoga County Executive. We're talking about a whole, whole my goodness, you could do this for hours and hours because there's so many issues facing this county, and I really appreciate your chance to, the chance to just uh, scratch the surface of it. Tell me about the four pillars of Cuyahoga 2030, your plan. So we have, you know, uh, grow the Cuyahoga County economy, uh, make Cuyahoga County safer, uh, reduce the burden of county government, and make county government more effective for the citizens. And let me focus on reducing the burden because there's a big burden from taxes. Okay. Firstly, we are going to freeze property taxes for seniors on fixed incomes. We're going to roll back the value of their properties to the pre-2021 level because we had massive increases in property values in 2021 for tax purposes. If you are at least 60 years old and make less than $50,000 a year, excluding Social Security and pensions, So this is going to cover about 70,000 seniors who own their own homes. We're going to freeze the value and freeze the taxes until you sell your house. If that's 20 years, that's great. So it's great property tax relief for seniors on fixed incomes. It's a good hedge against inflation. Uh, Do do you have a number? I'm sorry, Lee. Do do you have a number in terms of what kind of revenue that will cost the county by by rolling those back to pre-21? Because that's, of course, the first thing people say when you give a tax break as well. Is that paid for? I mean, where are we going to get that? Where are we going to make that up from? Go ahead. So the county collects about $2.5 billion a year of property taxes. Two-thirds of that is industrial or commercial. So that's excluded from my program. That doesn't count. Okay. Talk about one-third of the $2.5 billion. We estimate the revenue uh, reduction would be about $10 million, which is spread throughout the county, not just the county, but school districts, cities, the parks. Everybody takes a little chunk of that $10 million. So we're talking about 0.4% of the total collection. And I think that every budget can be run with 0.4% less revenue. If they can't, they've got a problem. So totally agree. Families have had to do it. In fact, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to pivot off of what you're doing here, but, but we all have to adjust our budgets because of, you know, a variety of reasons. And right now that happens to be 40 year high inflation. So we all have to, you know, uh, do a little bit more with a little bit less from time to time. Why can't our government agencies do the same? And, you know, we think that money is better in the, in the hands of seniors in their homes who have been taxpayers for generations, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to being in the hands of government. And it, you know, and it could just be a couple hundred bucks that separates a senior from keeping her house to losing her house. I talked to a woman in uh, Ward 1 of Cleveland, the east side, 87 years old. She's owned her house since 1965. Her mortgage was paid off decades ago, but she fears losing her house to higher property taxes. No woman, no man, no senior should lose her or his home based on increasing property taxes. Um, we're talking to Lee Weingart. He is the uh, Cuyahoga County candidate, or excuse me, Republican candidate for Cuyahoga County Executive. And we're talking about um, his agenda, which is uh, Cuyahoga 2030. It includes uh, tax reform in a number of ways. In addition to the breaks you just talked about, freezing and then rolling actually back the rates for seniors in the county, uh, 60, uh, 60 years of age and older, you, you want to completely abolish RITA. Let, let, let's hit that real quick. We don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to get that. Well, so... There are 56 communities in the county that levy a local income tax. 
mm-hmm. that often results in a double tax if you work somewhere different from where you live. So I want to end all local income taxes at the city level, consolidate under Cuyahoga County. It would be a 2.25% tax. It comes out of your paycheck every month just like federal and state are withheld. That is the end of RITA, the end of prepayments, the end of makeup payments, the end of penalties, the end of waiting on hold forever. Talk to RITA. RITA goes away just like CCA and a few other tax departments this will level. It makes your taxes simpler. It eliminates double taxes, which are unfair. It makes our county more competitive. We can draw more employers and more jobs because it's a tax-friendly environment, uh, not a tax-unfriendly environment. It's also important for municipalities like the city of Cleveland, which are losing a lot of money because of remote work. So people aren't coming downtown, and they're getting refunds on their local income taxes. Under my plan, if you live or work in Cuyahoga County, you pay the 2.25%. So if your employer is in Cleveland and you work on Mars, you're paying the 2.25%. This keeps Cleveland healthy, Strongsville, Solon, Beachwood, Independence. These that have large employment centers, which are losing a lot of money from remote work, will be kept whole through this system. That is uh, a phenomenal approach. Um, I'll ask a similar question to the one I asked before. Do you have a number? Not This isn't about the revenue. This is about the savings. Uh, average household in Cuyahoga County, if you eliminate all local income taxes and substitute just this 2.25% Cuyahoga County tax, what does this do bottom line for the average family and in, in household in uh, Cuyahoga County? So we think it's a tax cut for most people because you are paying twice. For example, I, I live in Shaker Heights and I work in Cleveland. I pay Cleveland 2.5%. I pay Shaker 1.25, so 3.75 total. Under my system, it's 2.25. So for most people who live in one city and work in another, it's going to be a tax cut. Uh, and it's going to be a huge time savings. No more filling out the RETA forms and the prepayments and the makeup payments. We're going to make their lives easier, and we're going to reduce their income taxes. Lee, I've got two minutes to go that I don't even have, but I'm going to give them to you because I really want to, <laughs> I want to you. ask you this question. Um um, your opponent in this thing, you, a couple of headlines here. Uh, a discussion gets fiery between uh, can, uh, ex- county executive candidates in the Cleveland.com slash plain dealer editor, or, uh, endorsement interview, and then also you had a debate with Chris Ronan. Can you uh, summarize the differences between the two of you in two minutes? I'll give you my closing statement, but I'll, reduce, I'll have a slightly slower version. So you know, Chris wants to add four new departments to county government at a cost of millions of dollars and hundreds of new employees. I think we invest in the community. We have a smaller uh, county government that's more active but less expensive. Uh, Chris Renane favors non-citizens voting in our elections. He said that out loud. He favors non-citizens voting in our elections. I do not favor non-citizens voting. I believe voting is a quintessential right of U.S. citizenship. Chris does not favor tax reform. I've talked about my tax reform for seniors freezing their property taxes, and for everybody else, ending RITA and unfair double local income taxes. His vision is for a tax-and-spend big government. My vision is to invest in people, invest in programs that help people. So he wants to grow Cuyahoga County government. I want to grow Cuyahoga County. That's a pretty good summary. And by the way, just for those who don't know, uh, Lee Weingart is not kidding with what he just said <clears throat> that uh, Chris Ronane said out loud. We have a mayor who said a citizen is paying their taxes here, and I want to see a person who may not technically be qualified, quote, as a citizen. Uh, I want to see what that mayor has to say. And if that mayor wants to see that resident 
be able to walk into a voting booth and vote, then I want to support the mayor in a home rule city. Did, did your jaw drop as far as mine did when I first heard that? That's a pretty astounding statement. We were at Global Cleveland Forum, and that's a pretty far-left organization. The room was full of people who are not Weingart supporters. When he said it, I had a grin from ear to ear. Uh, it was it was a catch question, and I knew he would say yes because he is a pleaser at heart. He wanted them to love him in that room. I said no because no is the right answer. Uh, Lee Weingart, I hope this is the beginning of a conversation and not, and not the entire conversation with you between whatever you want, Bob. Always this come is, on uh, your. Yeah, this is a lot of very important information you're sharing. And, of course, I'll reach out to Chris Ronane, too, and give him a chance to answer some of these very same questions, particularly about <laughs> letting non-citizens vote. But, but Lee Weingart, no, seriously, I, I, this is a great opportunity for Cuyahoga County to turn a page. Uh, that has been We've been on the same page of the same book for so long, and it is just getting so monotonous, and so uh, we're not getting anything done. There's a chance to really kind of flip it over and do something new with a leader like you uh, running the Cuyahoga County, uh, uh, running Cuyahoga County as the executive. I wish you the best of luck, and I do want to make sure we talk again very soon all right thank you sir have a great weekend you do the same sir thank you uh that's lee weingard it's 959 time for news we will try to get chris ronane on to equal time equal opportunity we'll ask him some of these tough questions but uh for now there you have lee weingard and i think there's a real opportunity here we'll be back it's just another night you and i have a rendezvous with destiny We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate that. You've got a lot of choices in morning radio. I know that if you come here for news and information and education and entertainment, uh, I really do appreciate it. We were live in Washington, D.C. the last two days. By the way, it's a Friday now, the 23rd morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Spent the last two days in D.C. talking about one issue, one issue and one issue alone, but it affects so many others. And that, of course, uh, was immigration because we were there at the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And we're talking about the uh, crisis at the southern border. That crisis, of course, has found its way into all 50 states in the form of deadly fentanyl, uh, in the form of extraordinarily high crime rates, in the form of uh, human trafficking. It is just... uh, it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare, and there is no sign of us waking up from it, at least from the current administration. So we're going to have to continue to pay attention to that, and we'll talk more about that. But I want to talk about another issue now. I said this to you at the very beginning uh, of the program today, uh, that there's a link uh, on my top stories portion of the webpage at alwayswrite.us, <clears throat> and that link was to a story headlined, um, Formerly anti-abortion Biden now counts on Rovember to save Democrats. The implication being, of course, that the recent decision by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade, returning the right to decide what happens with unborn children to the states and thus to the representation of the people to make up their minds, um, that is apparently lit a fuse under the Democrat voters. They are so devoted to the idea of killing their babies literally up until the moment of birth, and they just defy anybody to say otherwise, 
They're so devoted to this that it might be enough to get their voters out there and actually stop the presumed and expected Republican takeover of the majority of both houses of Congress. They're calling it Rovember. This was the unifying moment that they needed. I have long said that I wish for you um, that you find someone in your life who loves you as much as Democrats love killing babies. And that is literally what they are counting on, is the, the their devotion to abortion to save their majorities in the federal in the uh, united states congress in the house and in the senate so that's the backdrop for this story and for our next guest i was um blown away when i read the email that i received forwarded to me by our good friend jonathan broadbent from not not coincidentally from protecting ohio children protecting ohio children north to be precise but jonathan introduced me to Aisha Taylor, at least by way of email, and uh, Aisha's story about her own uh, personal experiences with the decision when it comes to abortion. She has taken her own personal experiences and put it into a book that is out now that I think sounds simply extraordinary. It's called Navigating the Impossible, a survival guide for single moms from pregnancy through the first year of motherhood. I was so moved by the email and by this story, I wanted to talk to her personally. And so now let me welcome to the program Aisha Taylor, the founder and CEO of FN Phenomenal, uh, which you can find at fnphenomenal.com. Aisha, thank you so much for coming on this morning. How are you? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Your story is, uh, is, is so important for many people to hear, and not just, you know, young, I think especially for younger or youngish women, or even married women, it doesn't really matter the age, I suppose, but who find themselves perhaps with an unplanned or an unexpected pregnancy and feeling like, you know, there's, there's, there's no choice here, there's no way out. And in your particular case, Aisha, it was your, twins father that said there is a way out and you better take it or i'm out um and that's a very cheap summary of uh, the very emotional experience you had there can you give us the details on that yes definitely that was actually a great summary and so what happened was is i ended up getting pregnant so i had just quit my job to become a full-time entrepreneur to teach personal finances to single women ended up getting pregnant and then the father of my twins said, look, it's either you, it's either me or the twins. And then at that point, he began to really pressure me into having an abortion, turn verbally abusive, and started to diminish my self-confidence, self-worth, and self-esteem to the fact where I did not know how to choose life. But to have an abortion with twins just felt wrong. And so as hard as it was to say no, I ended up saying no to him. I chose life for my kids. And then he walked out not too much later. And it was not easy because there were times where I doubted the decision. And it it gets really personal for me, especially in the context of Roe v. Wade, because everything that I hear the abortion advocates saying for why we need abortion to be able to prevent single motherhood, to prevent these kids from growing up with single moms, to be able to spare. It sounds like a mercy killing, right? That is everything that their father said to me for why I should choose abortion for my children. But by the grace of God, it was nothing but the grace of God that allowed me to be able to stand firm and say no, and that I was going to go ahead and have my children even though I knew he was going to leave, and he left um, when I was four months pregnant. 
Wow. Um, so much to dig into there. Um, particularly when you describe the father of those those babies that you were carrying, um, you know, saying, you know, the, the repeating that single motherhood is terrible, you shouldn't be a single mom. And, and as you sat there and said that, I'm just, the irony is just smacking me in the face. It's like, wait a minute, who says she has to be a single mom? You're the father right. of those children. Why would you make her a single mom? Why would you threaten her with single motherhood? Why don't you just say, I'm going to help you raise these babies? I mean, uh, th- that did that aspect not even occur to him, that there's another choice here besides either you get an abortion or I leave, that maybe behind door number C or door number three is I stay and we raise these children together? What about that? No, that never occurred to him. Matter of fact, he told me when I told him that I was pregnant, he said, oh, it's not like we're praying for keeps. I can pay for your abortion. Wow. Um, if, if I may... Um... Was this uh, just a boyfriend-girlfriend situation? Were you living together? Were you engaged? Anything of that? Like, uh, you know, no, we were dating. You were dating. Okay, so you were mm-hmm. dating when this when this happened. And and if I may, how old are, how old were you at the time? I was thirty-two. And he was. Oh, like I try and forget about him. He That's was. Okay. Uh, he he was almost forty. He was about forty. See, see, I'm so glad. The reason I'm asking those questions, uh, Aisha, is because. So many people think that unplanned and unexpected pregnancies only happen to teenage girls and and to to teenage boys. And you're a grown adult woman. Um, Now, let me ask you this. Did you have any children prior to these twins? No. Okay. And have you had any since? No, these are all my friends. So this is your only only time. Okay. and So I'm just trying to kind of lay the groundwork here. So you're an adult professional woman. I think you said you were doing, um, uh, you were giving a lecture for entrepreneurial single moms or something of that nature. So you're a professional woman. Uh, You've got a grown, you know, this is a grown man, a 40-year-old man, not a scared, you know, 16-year-old boy who knocked up his 16-year-old girlfriend. So you're you're professional adults, and the question still came up about whether or not you should keep these babies. Now, I I would assume since you were dating, you guys had 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 conversations prior to your pregnancy. Um, Did you did you ever express to one another what your feelings were on matters like abortion? pro-life, those kinds of things, or had that never come up between you? No, that never come up. It never came up between us. Um, yeah, that never came up between us. Were you were you particularly active in that field, the way you are now, obviously, is you, you know, you wrote a book, for goodness sakes, which we'll talk about again in a second. Were you active in that way? Did you have any strong feelings, any conversations with other people about the abortion, pro, pro-life, pro-choice debate at that time? <laughs> So I'm actually kind of giggling <laughs> right now. <laughs> I was just telling someone actually my pro-life conversion story, like the red pill story, which made me pro-life. Tell me that as story. A kid, so as a kid, and and so like you said, and I'm happy that you brought up the fact that I'm not a teenager because I think that sometimes unplanned pregnancies get focused on teen moms and teenagers, yeah. and we're missing a huge group of people, professionals who abort kids because they don't want to lose their income and their um, their recognition amongst their peers, right? And so there's a pressure for to be able to maintain appearances. So I'm so happy that you brought that up. And so as far as my pro-life story, so the schools, 
like between the high schools and the colleges, they really indoctrinate kids to be pro-choice and be radically pro-choice. And like I said, like my kids are six years old. So this was a long time ago when I was in school. And I just remember just being taught by peers and like, you know, adults that the right thing to do is to be pro-choice and radically so. So when I was in college, I was actually a member of the NARAL action team. And this is, I'm dating myself right here, where we receive emails about pro-life legislation. It would be like, hurry up, send a fax, overload your uh, Congress people with faxes about why they need, this needs to be defeated. Or on the converse, if there were pro-abortion legislation, it's like overload your Congress people with faxes and phone calls to let them know to support this. And so I remember being radically uh, for abortion without parental consent matter. And I was radically for uh, unlimited access to the abortion pills. Matter of fact, I actually found old papers that I had wrote recently about that. And so... Um, and so it was interesting as I got older and had a chance to be able to kind of escape that environment, I started to question what it was that I believed. I'm like, why do I believe this stuff? So why do I think that parents who love their kids should not be have input into their children's decision? What if something goes wrong? Because I actually know somebody who got an abortion and was left infertile. And so I'm like, why shouldn't parents be a part of this? And then as I got older, I just started to question it. And then once I, and so by that point, I was no longer, as I grew, as I got older, I was no longer that radical in terms of what my thoughts were, because I had a chance to be able to challenge it internally, what I believe. And I also read this book, it was a phenomenal book called Uncle Tom's Plantation by Star Parker. I think I got the name right. And so Star Parker's book radically changed how I thought about a lot of social issues because she was a single mom who was on welfare, who got off of welfare and became very successful. So reading her story was very eye-opening to me. And that was another thing that began to have me question what it was that I believed. And then um, once I got pregnant and I found myself reading the what to expect when you're expecting, looking at the bump and being able to track the stages of my child's development. And as I saw those different things and as I saw my children on the ultrasound, I realized that this was not a lump of cells that I had been taught. This was not just a parasite, what I had been taught. This was a living, breathing human being. And my urge as a mom, like I think people try and diminish how God created men and women. And my urge as a woman for motherhood began to kick in when I had to defend the life of my children against their own dad. And when I got to the point where I did not think that I could stand anymore in terms of defending life for my kids, I remember I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go get an abortion because I'm so I was so afraid, so afraid about finances, what this meant for my career, all I could see was fear. And I remember just and just being worn down with trying to choose life for my kids. I remember one time I was um I felt really weak. And in Michigan, um, we have to go through pre abortive counseling online. So you acknowledge that you know what the procedure is, you know everything what's gonna happen. So I did that printed off the paper, went to pick up the phone to call the abortion provider, and the abortion provider didn't answer the phone. Praise be to the Lord, right? And so I ended up hanging up the phone, and that particular day I was going to Bible study. And I went to Bible study, and the topic of conversation was never making a permanent decision on temporary circumstances. And at that point, I realized that 
making a decision for abortion was permanent, but the temporary situation of what I was dealing with, the fear, the uncertainty, and him walking out was temporary if I just trusted God to guide my path. So in terms of all of that defense of my children, seeing my children on the ultrasound, seeing the development of them convinced me that this was not something to just throw away, but it was a life that deserved to be defended. And that was the biggest thing that shifted because I used to be like, I'm pro-choice, but I choose life. You know how a lot of people say I'm pro-choice for other people, but I would choose life for myself. That was by the time I was pregnant, that was kind of where I was. But by the time I could see my kids in my womb and track their stages of development, I said, no, I can no longer straddle that fence anymore. I am unapologetically pro-life. This is life in the womb. We are listening to Aisha Taylor, uh, and I'm so glad to say listening rather than talking to it because I could sit here and listen to you for hours. That that was powerful. Everything that you just said just blew me away. Um, one line that I think is particularly um, uh, important here, it's it, it could be a credo for life in general, never make a permanent decision based on temporary circumstances. The temporary difficulty you might be in if you have a baby now, the difficult, wh- whether it's financially or whether it's professionally, whatever it is that might be, it's a temporary situation. Don't make a permanent decision like ending your baby's life based on those temporary circumstances. That is so powerful. And again, that can be applied to many, many other areas of life. And the other thing that struck me as I listened to you is the, the, the role that God and faith played in your entire, I don't want to say conversion, you, I guess you could call it that, you said a pro-life conversion from your, you know, the indoctrination you received at the college level to be pro-choice all the way through, uh, but, but whatever it is you want to call it, well, let me, let, me, let me dig a little deeper there. Did you have a deep faith prior to this uh, situation, you know, where you, where you became pregnant and, and you faced down your, your baby's father who said, get rid of those babies or I'm out of here? Were you faithful before that, or did you find your faith when this situation happened? So it's funny how God prepares people ahead of time for storms that he knows are coming. Mm-hmm. So I had actually walked away from the faith for about seven years. But about um, four years before I got pregnant, I ended up rededicating my life to Christ and came back to the church. And at that four-year prior, Mark, I it was just before, it was about six months before I ended up dealing with workplace bullying, which I dealt with for about two and a half years. So God prepared me for this way before I even got pregnant in terms of how I had to deal with workplace bullying on the job. And so when I found my faith again, my faith allowed me to stand firm in terms of workplace bullying. My faith allowed me to just continue to continue to show up every day and keep going in the face of workplace bullying. You know, it got so bad at work that my doctor told me to go on FMLA or quit because my job was actually impacting my health. And she said, if I didn't get out of that situation, I was going to begin to see the negative impacts of my health because what I was going into the doctor for, she said, it's just stress-related illnesses, but all your lab work, all your tests come back good. But she said, if you don't get out of that situation, it will not be good um, going forward. And so being able to endure two and a half years of workplace bullying actually ended up being the thing that prepared me to be able to choose life and defend my life for my kids. 
What a, what a phenomenal story that you have to tell and share, and you're sharing it through this book as well. Uh, Navigating the Impossible, a survival guide for single moms from pregnancy through their first year of motherhood. Uh, now, I just clicked on the link that I have here. It takes me to your own personal webpage. Is this a book available there only, or is it available on Amazon or any of the other traditional book sites? It's also available on Amazon. Okay, good. I just want to give people a place to look for it and just uh, do a little search for Navigating the Impossible. Aisha's website is aishataylor.clickfunnels.com, which is where I'm looking at the book right now. So you get to that one. And I'll link, you, I'll link both of them up to my webpage uh, that people are used to checking anyway, which is alwaysright.us. And uh, Aisha, I just have, I have to tell you, um, I'm, I'm just really, really inspired by your courage, by your strength, by your faith and everything else you did. And now, you know, it's... It, for a lot of people, it would be, I just feel very proud of myself. I did the right thing. I look at my twins. You said they're six now, right? Yep, they're six. I look at my twins every day, and I'm so happy with the decision that I, that I made. Of course, how could I ever think of anything like this and just be proud of yourself? But you're saying it's so much more than just being proud of myself and doing the right thing. I need to encourage other people to do the right thing as well. And uh, that is very inspirational, and uh, and I want to thank you for that. And I also want to send people to your company, by the way, fnphenomenal.com. Uh, the, the the little trick or play on words is not lost on me. <laughs> uh, you are fnphenomenal, no question about it, fnphenomenal.com. Uh, check out Aisha's website there as well. Uh, again, a company that empowers single moms uh, in all of the different ways that they need empowerment. Uh, Aisha, thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for what you'll continue to do in helping to advise other moms or, or, or soon-to-be moms uh, to make the right decisions and to love their babies. Uh, thank you so very much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. God bless. Aisha Taylor, Navigating the Impossible is the book. If you uh, know anybody who would draw something from this, please send them to the page. Navigating the Impossible, a survival guide for single moms from pregnancy through the first year of motherhood. That was terrific. 1028 News Time coming up. We'll be back with Christina Hagen after this, AM 1420 The Answer. Pursuit of Happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Onward now at 1038. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again to my guests thus far. We've been booked solid, and we're going to remain that way. In uh, the early part of the program at 935, we talked to Lee Weingart, who is a candidate for a Cuyahoga County Executive. Terrific conversation. So many ideas. This guy is... Um, I really, truly believe the answer to help turn Cuyahoga County around. Uh, but you can uh, follow him at Weingart2022 online, weingart2022.com. We just spoke with Aisha Taylor. Her uh, her story is phenomenal, her commitment to life uh, through her faith and uh, and, and, and her, her conversion, if you will, to being a pro-life advocate. Her book is now linked to my webpage, which is alwaysright.us. And want to come on uh, now and come back to... Uh, the story we started the show with, and that is the commitment to America. Remember the contract with America? This is the commitment to America. Kevin McCarthy and House Republican leaders have come out with their midterm platform for November. This is their 
This is their uh, commitment to America. It is four, has four prongs, if you will, an economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable. This is a little promotional video for it that the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, cut. You probably ask yourself, can we afford this? Now more than ever, Americans are struggling just to get by, wondering if they could even make it. You know what's even worse? The country's struggle goes beyond just the grocery store. Violent crime is at record highs in our streets and neighborhoods. The border has become a national security crisis, with fentanyl killing our fellow citizens. Soaring inflation has shrunk paychecks and sent us into a recession. And our kids have fallen further behind thanks to school closures and lockdowns. The White House and the Democrat majority in Congress control Washington. They're in charge. This is their record. And yet, they want you to give them two more years of power. But Republicans have a plan for a new direction, one that will get our country back on track. It's called the Commitment to America, a plan for an economy that's strong, where you can feed your family and fill up your tank, a nation that's safe, where communities are protected by the police and criminals are prosecuted, a future that's built on freedom, where your children come first and are taught to dream big. And a government that's accountable, where politicians don't get special treatment. We simply cannot afford two more years of business as usual in Washington. We need common sense change now. If you agree, join us and tens of millions more across this great country. Because people like you, who work hard, play by the rules, deserve better. There it is. Uh, that's Kevin McCarthy, who is, of course, the House Minority Leader. Uh, a friend just pointed out that I called him the Speaker. So let's insert the word future there. The future Speaker of the House, but he is right now the House Minority Leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, outlining the uh, commitment to America. And joining us now to analyze that, our regular Friday guest at this time, Christina Hagan, a former Ohio State representative currently working on the Ohio Elections Commission. Christina Hagan, good to have you back. How are you this Friday morning? Great, Bob. Good morning. Um, and I've got to be really honest. You know, I heard that this morning, and by no means has the establishment-style Republican ever been my hero-esque type of figure. Um, but if you close your eyes and listen to the words, um, you can only be hopeful uh, for a return to Republican leadership. And I actually watched that video this morning, and it, it concluded with, you know, Jim Jordan at a podium. It is the full team working together for the good of Americans. And the commitment is to America. And it's amazing how refreshing just hearing those top lines are to be committed to America, to future generations, that we wouldn't be embarrassed by our country or ashamed of our country. We want to make it great and strengthen it and make us a leader on the national stage. Um, I, I don't know if it was the pregnancy hormones or just a moment of potential weakness or being sentimental, but I almost teared up when hearing them talk about the brutal realities of what we're navigating and where we should be if we regain control. And I just hope and pray that we do everything that we can on the ground as citizens to support Republican candidates this time around to make sure that we see a strong flip of power and um, that we're able to at least stop some of the uh, really, really disturbing um, leadership of the president and head in a better direction. And I'm, I'm glad they're laying it out. I'm glad they're putting a solid platform together. They're discussing it and they're projecting it and they need to be 
um, in front of every newscast every day through Election Day talking about what can and should be done. And I think we're seeing that shift now. We're seeing Republicans take um, the mantle of discussion and no longer allow to be in the backseat and to be driven by emotional issues, but instead to have real conversations about national security, our safety, um, the crisis of illegal immigration, the inflation, um, all the things that people feel and see and know are making them unsafe and unstable in our country. Republicans need to bring that um, full circle and to the top of the Americans because we're all feeling it. And leadership is being able to effectively communicate it and have an action plan for how to resolve it. And I think that's what we're witnessing. You know, your initial response there, Christina Hagan, I think was very, very, very on on point. Um, you know, far be it for me to get excited about the words of a, an establishment Republican. And, uh, you know, but, but it is inspirational to hear the words, to hear the plan that has been laid out. The question is, is whether or not establishment Republicans uh, will follow through because they're good at the words. They're not always good at the follow through. They're not always good at doing, you know, walking the walk after talking the talk. And I, I'll be 100% honest with you. I'm not Kevin McCarthy's number one fan. Um, he is establishment. Right. But um, but but I I also know that you know a true conservative member of Congress to you know if we are to take the majority back to win the speakership is it's it's almost impossible because the true conservatives are outnumbered. There's only what thirty five, thirty eight, or whatever members of the Freedom Caucus that was founded by Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan to find one of them that would have enough crossover appeal to win the speaker vote. Um, you know it's it's almost impossible. So you have to go with. You know, the closest hybrid, I guess, that you can. And there's some good things about Kevin McCarthy. Um, and one of the things you just said, Christina, is important. You know, you, you watched the video and you saw him with Jim Jordan. And, you know, Jim Jordan was a part of the conversation. He was a part of the team that drafted this commitment to America, uh, you know, and this four, four bullet point, uh, plan to, to turn things around here. So, even if Kevin McCarthy himself is not necessarily the dyed-in-the-wool conservative that I would like to see in charge of the House if we win that majority, I think he's listening to some who are. And uh, and that gives me hope that you know that some of the things they outline here can actually become reality. Exactly. Exactly. And we're seeing, you know, 25-year-old Republicans with the Trump agenda, the conservative populist notion ahead of them with a high probability of winning. And the reality is, the establishment Republicans don't have a choice but to listen to the conservative faction of Americans who recognize where we're going wrong and how we need to strengthen the, com- the country for our own safety and security. So I think we're actually at a really pivotal time um, because we're seeing the massive negative implications of this really liberal leaning governing. And the solution is what it's always been, to be conservative, uh, to be fiscally responsible, to reduce the federal government's impact, to grow the value on families, on the sanctity of human life, to preserve and protect our children's education and to give us a fighting chance against our enemies and to exude strength. And those things come from the bedrock of the Republican Party, not the establishment. So I think they even know politically they need to run with us in order to lead the country back to greatness. Um, if you had to focus on one particular aspect of this commitment, 
uh, to America or another. I mean, could you rank them one and two? Uh, you don't have to go one, two, three, four. But I mean, I, I look at the economy. I look at the dollars. Uh, you know that we are all impacted by. As Kevin McCarthy said, when you go shopping, you kind of have to look at each other now and say, "Can we afford that?" And, you know, uh, two years ago, the answer was yes because we were doing so great. Economy or the economy was humming along. Inflation was very, very low, maybe one and a half percent. Now it's eight and a half percent. Uh, or is it the fact that once you leave that store, Christina, you have to wonder whether or not you're about to get jacked uh, by somebody because crime, violent crime, is spiking in uh, major cities all over the country because of the war on police, because of left-wing judges and DAs who uh, uh, you know, refuse to hold criminals accountable and refuse to consider victims and, and their rights. So th- there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack in this. Can you rank top priority over, over the second or third? Yeah, you know, I think the the answer is always simple. There's a common denominator amongst all people, amongst all Americans, that we want to have a strong economy. Um, so I think, you know, they're right on point with having the economy first and foremost. However, I believe that we can't have a strong economy without strong fiscal and moral policy because a moral decay and ethical decay lead to a weakened economy. So I always put those two uh, top tier together. You cannot compromise on one or the other, or else we have a weak America. Um, whether in the short term or the long term, we won't have a country. If we have no moral decency, if we have no standards of building families, if we have no standards of building strong communities, uh, we can't have a strong economy without strong families. But I look at this and, yeah, unquestionably. So, so they, they are de- they're, they're, what you're saying is they are definitely interconnected because you, the third one, which I didn't even ask you about, is, you know, the part about families, you know, the part about the strong moral center and everything else, the the nuclear family that was the building block of this civilization and every successful civil, civilization, quite frankly, in history. And it is being torn apart by our schools, by our educators, by, you know, those with indoctrination uh, plans instead of education plans, and then telling moms and dads, butt out, we got this. We'll turn your little kids into what we need them to be for our society. You you can just, uh, you know, you, you, you can look at the finished product when we're done with them. I mean, that that has never bef- before been tried or done in the history of this country anyway. I don't know about any other countries, but never before in this republic. And so if, if we don't have the ability to provide that moral center and that grounding and all of the things that you just talked about uh, from the, you know, time our children, our children, the next generation are never going to experience the successes in the economy and the safety that you just talked about that we need. It's exactly right. I mean, it's hard to even divide these issues. And I think, you know, so often we want to say as Republicans, establishment Republicans, we can take the mantle on the economy. We can cut taxes and we can reduce government spending and we're champions. But we have acquiesced our right to insert moral expectations or standards within our education policy, just our systems at large, and instead of allowed the Democrats to go full throttle in attacking the soul of our children, the identity of our children, to dismantle a child's mind by the time they're 8 or 10 years old from being able to identify as either a boy or a girl does not advantage us on the world stage in competing with China. These kids can't even figure out what whether they should wear a skirt or a pants, and China is creating soldiers. Um, out of kindergarten and first grade, and not just physical soldiers, but those who are economically minded and adequately equipped educationally, and we are failing. And technologically as well. System. Yeah, and military soldiers, yeah, military soldiers, engineering soldiers, uh, uh, um, um, 
tech, technological soldiers, all of the things that it takes to compete and, and survive and thrive in this very competitive, you know, global market, the Chinese are doing. You're exactly right. And, and for goodness sakes, we've got stories all over the place here. And I'm sorry for chasing this, this squirrel up the tree here, but you just brought it up. I mean, I, we've got headlines here that the United States military, the woke U.S. military, this is how they're preparing for potential conflict with Russia or for China. They're teaching in, in the Air Force, you cannot refer to letters home from mom and dad anymore. To their literal airmen in the Air Force, no more mom and dad. If you have something from your caregiver or from your parent, you say it that way, but you stop uh, using the binary choice of male or female, mom or dad. They, I mean, this is what they're doing to our service. Use woke sub- substitutes instead of actual terminology that we know, you know, is scientifically and historically, you know, accurate in what we use. So, what you're exactly. saying right now is so important in terms of our competitive, uh, you know, disadvantage, if you will, with the Chinese or any other global uh, uh, threats that we might face. Oh, unquestionably, to dismantle our basic understanding of who we are and why our country is great is wonderful news to the liberals who wish for us to be a part of an imperialist, globalist society. I mean, there there should be no pride in being a part of a family. There should be no pride in being a strong woman or a strong man. We should just mesh all of the above and hey, why why stop at transgenderism when we can go to transhumanism? Why even think independently? Why why allow for anybody to have a singular thought or evoke any strong disagreement with um, an out-of-control um, inflation with the government spending $30 trillion, just ruining our future chances of even remaining independent in any way? It's it's sickening and disturbing on every front, but we need we need fighters. We need Jim Jordan. We, we need the Republican Party to do what they say. And I, I know Jim says that all the time, but if they would take this little palm card that they are constructing as we speak, these powerful messages that resonate with nearly all Americans. I mean, 94% of Americans are uncomfortable with the economic state of this country. All of us feel the double price that we are paying for gas since just two years ago. And now, all of a sudden, all of us are becoming aware that we have a massive immigration crisis. If they would just then harness the power of the reality of how Americans feel on these issues and the destabilization of our country, the attack on our children, and they would fight for parents, for individual freedoms, for strong education policy that advances us and makes us competitive once more, if they would reshore our manufacturing, they would ensure that we have the ability to technologically compete, um, we might be uh, up and cooking again here in this country. We might be taken yep. seriously on the world stage, and we might not see um, Ukraine uh, being under attack. We might not see a, a horrendous, unforgivable scenario in Taiwan if we had a president even that could be coherent for five minutes and actually reiterate their own policy from their White House and not have their own administration voiceovering their live commentary or their recorded commentary on 60 Minutes. I mean, it's, it's insane that we are where we are, but if the Republicans do what they say they will do, we can have a great country again. Christina Hagan, former Ohio House representative and now member of the uh, Ohio Elections Commission. Christina, thank you so much for your insight. Uh, I was so glad, so glad to get this uh, uh, this midterm platform in time for your conversation today because I knew you would uh, hit it out of the park, and you did. So thank you so much for the time. Absolutely. God bless, Bob. Thank you. 10.55 now on Always Right Radio. We're going to take a time out here. After the top of the hour, by the way, 
special Friday treat. Normally he joins us on Wednesday, but since I was in D.C. Wednesday, Jack Windsor has bumped his appearance to this morning. He will be with us at 1110, and he's got some stories that are going to blow your socks off from the Ohio Press Network. That's coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll into hour number three on a Friday. The 23rd morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Capping a tremendous week of radio. Very important discussions. Um, the last two days in Washington, D.C. were phenomenal. I think we ended up talking to around a dozen guests over two days some of the most important policymakers, decision makers, and experts in the field of national security, border security, immigration reform, and beyond. It was just uh, a lot of really, really great stuff. And today, well, all we've done today is talk to the county executive candidate, Lee Weingart, this morning, talk to an extraordinary woman, Aisha Taylor, who has got a book out um, that she wrote basically to try to support other women who might have been, might find themselves in the position she was. And the, the position she was is to have a pro-life conversion when her uh, her uh, the father of her two twins that she was carrying said, get rid of them or I'm out of here. She said, don't let the door hit you. She had her babies, and now she is just a tremendous voice for the pro-life movement. Uh, her babies are now six, which is just wonderful. Great conversation with Christina Hagen. And now... We uh, we bring a special treat because I thought we were just going to miss our weekly segment with Jack Windsor, the founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network, but because uh, he was supposed to be on with us on Wednesday, but we were in D.C. doing our, our uh, immigration thing. So Jack was kind enough to come on with us this morning on late notice because we've got to talk about what's going on in this state, particularly in uh, one school district that is the center of a lot of national attention right now because of the work done by the Ohio Press Network. So let's welcome Jack Windsor back to our program. Jack Jack, so good to have you, my friend. Thank you. Crowd always seems Bob, to be excited whenever Jack Wilson comes me. in. I don't know why it is, but uh, nobody else gets those applause except you. You just have a way with the crowd, I guess. So um, you're, you're back, spoiling me, Bob. <laughs> thanks <laughs> well, for having me. Yeah, no, you deserve. Thanks for having me. Great, great to be with you and the family. Absolutely. Okay, Jack. So uh, thanks for coming on. Um, are you here? I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. 
No, you're fine. I'm asking you, are okay. you here? In other words, are you wearing a badge that declares I'm here? <laughs> I see what you did there. I need yeah. more coffee, Bob. I didn't catch that one. <laughs> no, that's all right. That was a little I'm, bit slick. But, but, I'm yeah. here and I'm safe, regardless you're of what. You're here and you're LGBT safe. Good. That's, that's, that's what matters. All right. So, Jack, for those who don't know, and hopefully everybody who listens to this program already clicks and reads the work that you put in, you and your team, at the Ohio Press Network website, uh, but for those who don't know what's going on on Hilliard City Schools, let's do the backgrounder here. Let's uh, let's talk about the badge, the I'm Here badge, and more, and most importantly, the QR code that is at the center of all of this that is on that badge. Tell us the details. So the National Education Association, LGBTQ Plus Caucus, uh, in coordination with the Hilliard Education Association, uh, teachers unions, by the way, uh, we're responsible for and the NEA, passing. the national and the National Educator Association too. They they're they're part of this too. Yes, okay. they, absolutely. They they were responsible for uh, dispensing badges to teachers, and the badge, as you already referenced, reads "I'm here," and that is supposed to signal to students who may have questions about their gender identity or sexual orientation that the teacher wearing that badge is a safe space, is a safe person to talk with, uh, to have questions answered or to confide in. Uh, one, parents have a problem with that because it implies, without saying it, that anyone who doesn't wear that badge isn't safe. In fact, uh, on the badge holder itself, it indicates that if you are not a proponent of the LGBTQ plus movement, that you shouldn't be wearing the badge. Some parents are saying, well, I don't believe that this type of information in schools is a good thing. Does that make me bad? Does that make me unsafe? So that was uh, one of the issues. Uh, but you mentioned the QR codes. There are QR codes on the badge holder and on the badge. And when you pull up that code and you go to the page that it lands on, there are lots of links, and they are sexually oriented. Uh, we wrote about in one of the stories a video that was produced by Planned Parenthood of Toronto uh, that is titled The Underplayed Sex Acts. And there are kids walking around with uh, name tags on. Uh, and I won't mention those on the air because, frankly, uh, I'm not sure that it's appropriate for the radio, although our kids, uh, if they access these badges, could see that information. And uh, that became What you just said, Jack Windsor, is very important. You were aware of the decorum that the moment called for, the um, appropriateness of the of the language here of these sex acts. This is an adult radio audience, and I'm not saying there aren't kids who may be listening, but we're on during school do- school hours, and typically I would imagine this is a an almost exclusively adult audience, and you didn't feel comfortable saying the words that were contained on the signs or the tags or whatever that these people are wearing in these videos. Uh, because it's just too inappropriate. And yet, as you point out, any student who takes a picture of the QR code with their cell phone of those on those badges is going to be directed right to this. So it's inappropriate for radio conversation in your estimation, and I think you're right. I'm not going to read the words either. But this is totally appropriate according to the Hilliard Education Association and the National Education Association for our kids to be exposed to. Yeah, it is. Well, kind of. Uh, we've written a couple of stories. I'll have a third coming out in the next day. Um, one of the root issues is the kids have access to this. Well, I was able to 
uh, get a conversation with the communications director at Hilliard City Schools, and I asked those questions. Uh, how many students have accessed the QR code? Do you have a list of the people who have the badges? How many kids have them? And the response was basically, well, to the best of my knowledge, no kids have accessed it and no kids have badges. Um, but my comment back was, well, if you don't have a list and you're not tracking who's clicking on that QR code, how do you know? And by the way, there was a student who held up one of these badges at a board meeting last week. The communications director told me that that student is uh, the daughter of a staff member, and the staff member gave her that badge to use during her presentation. However, I'm now in receipt of an email that contains a photo that was taken yesterday of an elementary school student who has the badge in her hand. The teacher uh, allegedly gave the student the badge to access the, the door to get in and out of the door um, because she had to go in and go to the bathroom. So to say that these things aren't getting into the hands of children is Every is child inaccurate. in that school has that link now. All it takes is for one kid to take a picture of the QR code and open the link, and now they can share that link with anybody. They don't even need the codes anymore. No other teachers need to actually have give the, give their, their ID card or their I'm safe card to go to the bathroom or whatever. Uh, every kid has it. I mean, let's just be honest. That's the reality of the digital age. That's the reality of teenagers and, quite frankly, even elementary school kids now. This is in the hands of every single kid who wants it because everybody will share it. They'll put it in group text, group chats, and everything else. There's no question about it. So so let's go into more specifics. What is their excuse for putting this QR code on the badge that kids can take a picture of and get access to? Well, so <laughs> that's a great question. I published an email yesterday from Stacy Raderman, who, again, is the communications director at Hilliard mm-hmm. City Schools. And in the email, she states that the badges were provided by the National Education Association, Hilliard Education Association. And at the end of the email, it states that um, the resources are provided for teachers' growth and professional development if they choose. However, when I asked her to explain how educators are to use the content QR codes linked to for growth and personal development, she responded, since this is not a district-sponsored or related content, I couldn't comment. That would be a better question, I think, for the National Education Association. Now, Bob, this is despite her email in which she states that the resources are intended for voluntary growth and personal development. And uh, I posted a video, uh, the one that we already referenced earlier in this conversation, and so it remains unclear to me how any content linked to the badge codes provide relevant growth and development opportunities. For example, uh, how does that relate to the student-teacher relationship, and how does it enrich the teacher's ability to treat student? Well, to me, first of all, you're right. Great point. To me, it's much more basic than that, though. To me, the answer, well, this is this is not to be shared with students. This is for, what? what's the actual language again? Uh, uh, growth and professional development? Personal, personal growth and, and development. Professional development. Okay. The resources are provided for the teacher's personal growth and professional development. This is not for the kids. Then why the hell is it on a badge? Why wouldn't that link just be provided in an email sent directly to teachers' staff email accounts saying, here is a link to a page that we think might help you with your growth and professional development? Why would they make it even accessible for any student if if they're wearing these badges all a kid has to do is pull out their phone and point it at that code on any teacher's badge it automatically comes up you tap it and you own it 
if it's only meant for teachers' eyes, for teachers' growth and development, and not for student eyes, why is it on a badge? That that, that completely undercuts what that uh, uh, Raiderman uh, with Hilliard Schools is, is arguing here. It completely undercuts anything the NEA or the HEA can possibly say here. If it was only for teachers' eyes for their development, they wouldn't have put it on the badge that students can access. You bring up a point that Omar Tarazi, who is an attorney and a uh, candidate for the Ohio State House, brought up. He's also uh, a Hilliard dad. And he said, look, we can fix this problem for a few hundred dollars. If you just want the badge to state I'm here, then reprint the badges without the QR code. Right. And a lot of the problems go away. Um, he brought that up, according to my to him in my last conversation with him, which was yesterday afternoon, uh, the Hilliard Education Association president has been silent on the matter. And uh, we do know that as of yesterday, the superintendent, Dave Stewart, continues to allow uh, teachers and staff to wear the badges. This is um, this is pretty astounding. Uh, we're talking to Jack Windsor, if you just turned us on. I know you know his voice by now. He's a regular here on the program. Um, this this is an astounding uh, uh, move, especially as I go back and reread some of the terms and the language that is contained in that video and in, in both verbal and in video form, meaning the signs that they're wearing. Um, and for them to argue that this is simply for teachers' professional development is 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 simply repugnant. And Jack, I'm going to take it further and just say I, I, I disagree with them on the "I'm here" or Omar Tarasi said <clears throat> the "I'm here" aspect. Because guess what? You're here, Mrs. Smith, to teach my kid algebra, or at the primary level, uh, multiplication and division. That's what you're here for. You're here to teach my kid to read. You're here to teach my kid um, what the, the, where the you know what a, what a world map looks like and where the, the the states of the United States are in geography. You're here to teach my kids not to talk to my kids about sex ever. Not now. Not ever. You don't talk to my kids about sex. Is this clear? The only people who ever talk about sex are the health teachers who teach the reproductive organs, who teach this is what happens, this is how babies are made, this is what a male has inside of his body, this is what a female has, et cetera, et cetera. That's the way it has always been, and that's the way it's supposed to be. If a question about sexual orientation is aris- arises within a kid's mind because of the deviance of social media, which is where almost all of this emanates from, if a question about yep. gender identity comes in a kid's mind, again, because of social media, because of TikToks, or because of other ridiculous things, then they go to mom or they go to dad. They're here. Never is my my world history teacher, who's supposed to tell me about World War II, going to be the person who's supposed to tell me how to express myself sexually. I mean, I am just beyond perplexed by how we got here, Jack, to the point where even the I'm here badge is worn by teachers to talk about sex with children who have absolutely no business talking about sex with children. I'm sorry I'm getting a little bit frustrated and a little bit angry, but my God, this has got to stop somewhere. And you just said the superintendent of schools is still allowing this to happen uh, at, at Hilliard. Go ahead. Uh, Bob, I get it. I'm, I'm the father of a, of a nine-year-old daughter, and uh, if I'm anything, I'm super protective. So I get it. Um, what you're saying to me doesn't fall on deaf ears. Uh, in fact, I think a lot of parents are feeling the same thing. I've had conversations with them. One of the issues they have with just the language on the badge 
is that it implies that if you don't agree with the LGBTQ plus agenda, that you are unsafe. And I think that creates divisiveness uh, between student and other teachers who don't have the badges, or worse, student and, and parent. And the crux of what's going on. There's, there's a legal issue here, too, by the way. There's an attorney in Columbus who represents 30 or more parents who has sent two letters to the district and said, look, you need to answer these questions or else we're going to file a suit in federal court in Ohio's uh, U.S. Southern District. And one of the questions that they want to answer is, are you going to withhold conversations? Uh, first of all, there is a major point that what qualifies a teacher who has one of these badges uh, to have a sexual uh, conversation with a child? They're not registered counselors. Now, right. if it is a counselor, there might be some protections afforded in Ohio law that cover the confidentiality. But the issue is, if if my kid or your kid or somebody else's kid goes to a staff member and has a conversation, is Hilliard going to disclose that? In a conversation the superintendent had with a smaller group of parents in July of this year, the superintendent said that a teacher would be at great risk if he or she were to out a student to his or her parents. Uh, the school district's lawyer echoed that sentiment in a response to the Columbus attorney and said essentially that, yes, the standard position is that we want to include parents in all education-related matters. However, in instances of health and safety concerns, those conversations might be withheld. Well, they didn't go very far in defining Somebody needs to define the word safety safe before I blow a gasket, Jack. Somebody needs to define safe. I mean, the idea that the, the teacher not wearing the badge would be the one considered to be unsafe is just, it's, it's, it's completely upside down. I mean, up is down, black is white, day is night. That's just backwards thinking. The person who is not safe is the person who says, hey, child, come talk to me about sex. Tell me what you're attracted to. Come and tell me about um, whether or not you really feel like a boy or a girl or not. That is what is turning so many of these kids into little science experiments. And then they say, oh, well, you better not out these children to their parents because they're the ones who created the outness for crying out loud. Teachers online and in classrooms, are pushing this stuff on kids. They're the ones who are warping their minds to begin with and then saying, don't tell your parents, uh, or, or we won't tell your parents, rather, that I've successfully warped your mind. Um, and I'm glad to hear about the lawsuit. I see you were also wrote or you, uh, about the, uh, the, the federal lawsuit over this, if they hide the gender transitions in conversations from the parents. The parents ought to sue, and I hope there's a, a, a huge reckoning uh, uh, in a courtroom one day. Go ahead. No, I, I, it, it will be interesting to see. So the district has until October 17th to answer the question of, are you going to withhold conversations or not? And the attorney asked questions that you just asked, like, what is safe? What is unsafe? What determines that? Are you telling me that if a parent has a religious, deeply held religious conviction and you believe that the parent is not going to support the questions or maybe the desire of a kid to transition? Are you saying that that parent is unsafe and you're going to hide the conversation? So the district has a lot to unpack in a short period of time. Uh, I will also tell you there are at least uh, two other uh, significant school districts in the state of Ohio who have come forward to me and said we have these similar issues in our district. I think this is going to be a statewide issue. Um, but as it relates to how do you define safe and unsafe, I will publish uh, with the next story that we print uh, the 
statement I received from the Hilliard Education Association president, and without going into the details, you can probably guess what it says. Yeah. Uh, she basically says, look, if you don't agree with this, then you're putting trans kids at risk, you're bullying. So, you know, the line in the sand for them is not, um, hey, let's have dialogue. It's either you accept this or you're bad. And I think that's the concern parents have. If that is the position of the union, is, it, is that going to be the position of the school? And then are you going to exclude parents and criminalize or villainize them if they have a belief system that's de- different than the, than the teacher's union? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, we've said this before. An adult comes up to a kid in a shopping mall and asks them whether they like boys or girls. They're getting arrested. Uh, and now these teachers are getting punched in the mouth. If you yeah, and I are okay, there. there you go. Sorry. You're right. You're spot on. Spot on. You're right. Bad things are happening. But teachers are. Oh, no, they're just being advocates. They're creating, quote, trans kids. They're creating these little social media uh, influencer wannabes who want to be cool. They're they're changing their appearance. They're changing their bodies. They're changing their identities for likes and clicks so that they can be part of the trend and part of the cool factor that this is now. Uh, and it is absolutely devastating to them in the long term. It's just unbelievable that we're here. Meanwhile, by the way, Brendan Shea's given a a, a, a resolution <clears throat> to the Ohio School Board to try to stop some of this nonsense in its tracks. And um, from what I'm told, that didn't go well. Over 40 or so um, critics of the resolution testified uh, on Wednesday. Only about a handful, a dozen maybe, uh, who supported it were there. And he had to uh, face down all of those critics as he simply tries to restore sanity to the schools and to try to stop uh, you know, little girls from being canceled by little fake girls and, and non binary boys and girls and all the other nonsense that's going on and uh the update on that jack is that the vote has been delayed right on that resolution yeah the vote has been delayed but hey two two things anything easy ain't worth a dime that's what woody hayes said so yeah it's going to be hard the other thing that i would say is who cares if you remember house bill 248 there were thousands of ohioans who came out in support of medical freedom and legislatures people in the legislature basically said well it's still a bad bill okay well, they can outnumber 200 to 1, 500 to 1. So what? Are you going to make the same decision based on principle? Or are you going to put your finger in the air and say, well, there's more opposition than there is a proponent? So um, it, that argument's not going to fly with parents. Jack Windsor, uh, founder, editor of the Ohio Press Network. Jack, thank you, my friend. God bless. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Bob. God bless. 11, 11.30, back after the news. Always right radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Take Bob on the go by downloading the WHK Radio app on the Google Play Store. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. I think this is our third consecutive day of uh, all guests. No phone calls. We've <laughs> just been that busy. Uh, and I hope you appreciated all of the guests. I know I did. I learned a lot from them, and I hope you did too. This is uh, There's a reason why we do the things we do. But I do have time for a couple of calls here now in the last uh, five minutes or so of the show. So we're going to do that. We're going to go to John, who is in uh, Alliance, wants to talk about the Brendan Shea resolution that we were just discussing with Jack Windsor. Hey, uh, John, go right ahead. You're on the air. Hey, Bob and Jack. This is John Hagan. Uh, I'm a fellow board member with Brendan. 
Yes, sir. Uh, it's good to talk I, to you. I, I didn't. Just, I didn't realize it was you, or I would have. <laughs> I would have introduced you as such, John. Go ahead. I, I I just wanted to correct one thing that was stated, mm-hmm. and and this has been misreported in the media, and that is that this resolution was postponed from a vote uh, in this last meeting. Uh, that is not the case. This is the normal uh, sequence of operation with the board. A, a resolution is introduced before the meeting. Uh, it is uh, formally introduced in the meeting, and then the following meeting is when there will be a vote on that in a normal circumstance. So okay, so it's, it's not, not a delay. This is the this is the normal course of, of of action when it comes to a resolution. Yeah, and I think that's very important to note because I, I'm sure that people that on the other side of this issue that are hearing that it was postponed are jumping up and down and patting themselves on the back. Uh, the the amount of misinformation that was presented in that meeting uh, was baffling. Uh, but of can course, you, can, can you go into any detail on that? Because I you know, I wasn't there. I was in D.C., but I was trying to follow it from uh, some people who were watching it very closely on the Ohio Channel. John, can you can you give me your summary of the the day's events? Well, you know the the, the correct numbers were sixty one people testified and. And I would say it was 10 to 12 that were on the side of the resolution, mm-hmm. and the rest were uh, adamantly against it. Uh, you know, we as members have gotten uh, repeated emails from, you know, the, the chain-type emails of, uh, we want you to vehemently oppose this, we want you to uh, reject this uh, this resolution from Brendan Shea, et cetera. And this, in the time that I've been on the board, and I'm in my fourth year, this is probably one of the best thought out, well done resolutions that I've seen. And Brendan Shea uh, needs to be patted on the back on a repeated basis till he's till he's sore from the pat. Uh, the the testimony that came in uh, on the positive side, we had some medical doctors that you know stated pretty much the facts that you know x x x x y. It's uh, pretty simple mm-hmm. to know whether you're a male or female. Uh, no amount of uh, drugs and surgery makes you a different sex than what you are. Uh, the other side, of course, uh, was promoting the uh, rainbow of variety of things that you can be, and that uh, you're not assigned or you're not a sex at birth. That's just something that somebody dreamed up and chose to call you a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, like I say, it, it, it was almost. I, I don't want to say comical. It was pretty much sickening, but uh, so the approach that they took was uh, way out, you know, in in space. Uh, and one of the things that I noticed more than anything else was the volume really cranked up with most of their presentations. Uh, you know, that old thing of uh, if you say it loud enough, it makes it true. Uh, <laughs> that that was their game, and. It, it, like I say, uh, you know, we see a lot of stuff at the board and, and uh, certainly don't agree with an awful lot of the things that are going on. Uh, but once in a while, we do something good, and this, this one is something we're doing that is good. And, of course, they misrepresent the facts about what this does, uh, taking food out of the mouths of poor children, et cetera, which actually uh, is called for by the Department of uh agriculture uh to deny schools money for 
for poor kids. Uh, yeah, the nutritional program. assistance programs, right. Based on whether or not they comply with these ridiculous proposed Title IX uh, items that yeah. they're bringing yeah. forward. If you don't allow uh, little boys to go into bathrooms and into locker rooms and into showers with little girls, and if you don't allow boys to completely bastardize women's sports by making letting them play on those teams, then we're not going to feed your poor kids of your district. That's literally what that whole thing says, and it's a, it's astounding that people don't, don't see it for what it is. Um, John, my music is playing, so I'm out of time here, but I'm glad you called, and I would like to okay. take the, uh, I'd like to uh, use this opportunity to invite you to come on next week when we can talk in more depth. When is the vote? The, the, the vote will be uh, October 12th, 13th, in that range. Okay, I'm going to put you on hold, John Hagen, because I'm like I said, I'm out of time, sure. but I'm going to ask you to talk to Marianne and John, and we're going to get you on the schedule. I'd like to spend a lot more time talking about this with you as a board member. It's very important. Thank you so much for that call. We are out of time, though. Thanks to all of my guests. Thanks to my crew for doing a great job, and thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.